I'm Sean Cheatham, the Chief Commercial Officer at Hayes, and welcome to How Did You Get That Job, a podcast which explores the secrets behind career success in the tech industry. In this episode, we meet Paul Smith, the CIO at Amnesty International. Amnesty International is one of the world's foremost non-government organizations, and the work it does with regards to human rights changes lives for the better every day. Paul will be explaining the role that technology has played in his career. He'll also discuss the journey that took him to where he is today, as well as advice for listeners on making the right steps in your career. I hope you enjoy. So let's get into it. Paul, thanks for joining us. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Sean. Great to be here. Appreciate the opportunity to share today. Yeah, looking forward to it. So why don't we start with something real simple, Paul? I mean, how did you get into tech? Always a great question, Sean. Uh, I guess to answer it simply, I've, I've always been interested in IT. Um, since I was a young kid, I was a gamer, so that, that kind of got, got me hooked. But I actually didn't get into IT formally until a little later in life. I always went down the kind of business management and science route through school and college. But I actually found myself circling back to IT when I kind of reassessed my plans for life and was kind of considering what I'd want to do for the rest of it. And uh, a part-time course was available at the local university, which I signed up for. That was probably my first step professionally, and I continued that for the next two years alongside my full-time job. I guess that, that set me on that journey, but little did I know at that point in time where it would take me in life, both career-wise or geographically. Yeah, well, well and look at where you are now. So, <laughs> Yeah, when you think of like the things that you did outside of tech and, and, and all the things that lead, have led you to where you are today, mm-hmm. I mean, how have your roles prepared you for the position you have today? Great question, Sean. Uh, Well, I've had a career in IT which spans over 20 years so far in various industries. So a lot has happened along the way and a lot has been learned along the way. So I guess successes and failures in equal part have probably been my best tutors. Um, I've learned a lot about myself and how I'm most effective in a role. I've learned the difference between managing up and managing down and I've, I've learned the importance of a clear vision and direction, but followed by the permission and freedom to operate within that. And, and hopefully along the way, I've learned how to, to enable the best enable the success of my teams and those that I work with. But throughout my career, I've realized that whether by accident or coincidence, each of my roles that I've held has been a build on the past. Sounds like a really obvious thing to say, but when you look back at the roles you've held in your career, you can kind of see how you went from one to the other. So, for example, in, in the current role I have at Amnesty, I, I draw on my experience in, in the not-for-profit sector that I've had in previous roles to enable that sense of empathy and to understand actually what good looks like and to maybe help me to join the dots perhaps a little bit more quickly or to spot opportunity. I draw on my experience in, in defence, where I've had to project organisational capability and personally work in some of the most austere overseas environments, uh, conflict zones, and actually being, being on the personal receiving end of a rocket attack in Afghanistan will sharpen the senses for, for the sorts of thing that Amnesty is, is advocating for and against. Um, I've worked in multi-vertical direct marketing, so that's really helped me to understand customers, supporters, reach, impact, growth, advocacy, all those fantastic things, fundraising in the not-for-profit space. I've held advisory roles, so that's helped me to bring that cross-industry experience into my current role, uh, whether that's in cybersecurity or automotive or, or so on. But I guess cross-threaded through all of those, I've, I've been the fortunate recipient of a lot of mentoring and coaching, which has really helped me. You know, my personal boardroom, I have some fantastic advisors who help me, and they enabled me to grow as an individual. But the common thread for me that really I've learned the most from is how to make that shift from technologist to people manager, people leader, and working with people. So I've learned a lot about people, how to work with them, how to communicate with them, how to lead them, and, and hopefully support them through continual change, which 
actually, I think is crucial for any CIO and, and more broadly, any executive leadership role. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, so you're the CIO of Amnesty now. So, Paul, how did you get that job? Million dollar question, right? I guess, firstly, there are a number of things and achievements and experiences that have made me who I am today, both personal and professional in equal parts. Who I am as Paul Smith and the value proposition I present as a result of that is partly the sum of those. And the rest is made up of actually how I see and approach the future. So things like my personal values, drive, vision and passion. I try to remain true to myself and be authentic and I'm, I'm driven to succeed by nature. I guess I'm, I'm always moving forward. It's probably quite irritable for those who have to work with me. I'm always looking for the next thing to work on. But I try and encourage that in those around me with, with a leadership style that's kind of both supportive and challenging in equal measure. I've spent my entire life learning and moving from goal to goal. I guess you could call me the definition of a lifelong learner, really. My luck has been the result of planning and preparation, really meeting with opportunity, enabled by some really good support from family, friends and countless mentors and coaches along the way. And I think that mindset, that continuous pursuit of professional growth, including achieving achievements like my, my HNC and my MBA, both of which I did through part-time learning whilst holding a full-time job down, becoming a certified enterprise architect, a project management professional and a chartered IT professional, I believe have given me the skills, the soft and hard skills I need to be a CIO. And, and I hope enable me to relate more effectively and, and holistically with the organisation and, and its needs. But in terms of the role itself, I actually started out with my predecessor over regular coffee catch-ups, sharing ideas, you know, exchanging, exchanging lessons learned. And over time, and I was actually at the Royal National Lifeboat Institute at that point, but over time that turned into a more formal pro bono IT strategy advisor role. And then when the point came when my predecessor decided it was time for a new challenge, the opportunity presented itself. And by that point, I knew the organisation uh, and the pull of its purpose and its global nature uh, and the fact I actually felt I could make a real difference, it was just too strong to ignore. So, so I applied. And now I have the privilege of working with some wonderfully passionate, diverse and dedicated group of individuals who, quite frankly, operate under some of the harshest conditions to try and affect change for the greater good. It's not a bad way to spend life, frankly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, the cause is, is definitely strong. Um, so you, you've, you've been in the for-profit sector, right? Now you're in the not-for-profit sector. Maybe explain the, the differences between the two, or at least in your experience, and maybe some, some opportunities or challenges that, that separate the, the two sides. Absolutely. So I think in, in, there are some common things, no matter what industry you work in, and that is that typically you're working with a great group of people that are just trying to do the best with what they have. And this is, this is consistent in, in IT teams that I've led in my career. Um, the degree to which you are resource constrained, the, the type of risk or opportunity landscape you face typically varies as a result of those things. And the speed to which decisions can be made to, to affect change can, can be variable. But consistently, there's, there's a, a common thread between trying to move the IT department from a back office support function to a, a critical enabler for an organization, the thing that can move the needle for effect. And that, that has been a really interesting challenge through my career for organisations that have seen that opportunity and others that have yet to realise it. So I think that, that's been interesting. But as I say, the common thing is just a great group of people trying to provide really effective, efficient value for money services. And I think that that's certainly been common. Well, well so when I think of Amnesty, I'm, I'm, you know, obviously all the humanitarian things they do across the world, um, but not necessarily technology, right? So what role does technology play? In, in your world? 
Well, Amnesty, believe it or not, is an information management organisation at its core. Uh, that's what we do. That's our production line or value chain, if you will. So it stands to reason that the better we can manage that information or power assist that value chain with information and technology, the more effective we're going to be as an organisation, both tactically and strategically. So their strategy is shaped to protect, enable and guide the organisation through IT. Coupled with that is the facilitation of synchronous and asynchronous collaboration to connect our people and initiatives, which for a diverse, globally dispersed organisation like Amnesty is absolutely essential. And then underpinning that, you've of course got the need to ensure the continued resilience of our operations and the protection of our people, our supporters, those at risk and the associated information. And that goes hand in hand with those things. Yeah. And what, what kind of challenges do you face in your role today? There's a very, in Amnesty, there's a very unique information security challenge in the environment that Amnesty operates. Uh, physical security and digital security of our staff and supporters is very closely linked, and we consistently need to be tuned into that. We are a non-profit that in places facing, faces varying degrees of state-level threat. Uh, as I said, the constraints, whether they're external or internal environmental things, uh, resources at hand, can, can all be obviously very different to a commercial organisation, in addition to the natural balance of investments between run, grow and transform elements. So as a result, our risk and opportunity profiles are slightly different in terms of the things that can help or harm us, in addition to the ability to manage and effectively respond to any technology or digital disruption, be that positive or negative. You, you do have to do the basics well. I mean, there's nothing sexy about that. It won't win you any awards, but it will make all the difference to the organisation you're in and the trust in your department. When the organisation's values align with the individuals, it's no secret that something a little extra happens in terms of social contract. And I certainly see that in individuals that are attracted to my team and those that make up my, my team today. I think budgets will always be a challenge in the not-for-profit space. You know, the money is not a given. It's not your money. You can't magically make more products to sell to earn more money. So you do have to ensure that everything you do has impact and lasting benefit wherever possible. So the sustainability of service, of the people, of the organization itself is, is really, really important. Yeah. So with all that in mind, I mean, what does success look like to you? Great question, Sean. So I guess, put simply, it's through impact. For me, specifically to those at risk, whether that's directly or indirectly achieved. Our organisation, Amnesty, has a vision of a world where everyone can enjoy the human rights enshrined in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and other international human rights mechanisms. To achieve that vision, the organisation's mission is to undertake research and action focused on preventing and ending grave abuses of human rights. So toward that aim, my strategy is to bring to bear the power of information and technology to end those abuses of human rights globally. And I see a really tangible link to that in everything we do every day. Yeah. I, I mean, it's got to be rewarding, right? I mean, you're, it really you're, is. you're it impacting really is. the world, right? So. Yeah, I call it the, the get out of bed factor, right? You know, we're not getting up to make more, oh. make more widgets and more parts. You know, we're going to get up and we're going to make a real difference today to someone somewhere. And, uh, and that is a hook for me. Yeah, that, I, I can see the total attraction to it. Now, you talked about your, your, you know, some of the things you've done to upskill yourself from an educational standpoint. I mean, I'm sure our audience would be really interested in, you know, how do you stay up to date on technologies? And, and are there any sources that you use to, to help you with that? Yeah, for sure. So I think uh, there's a lot of noise out there, right? So it's hard to see the wood for the trees. We get bombarded through all these different channels and mediums uh, day to day, every day. So I guess I, I honestly, I rely on my network of peers and partners to cut through some of that noise and to share their learnings and insight. You know, what have they distilled? What have they seen as the key points of interest? 
I, I try and say yes to opportunities wherever I can. So that includes attending physical and virtual events where it's relevant and, and possible for me. Um, I do try and keep up to the, with the news wherever and as much as possible. But I do have a really valuable network on LinkedIn now. So I, I get quite a lot from the, my connections and their posts on LinkedIn. Uh, they're trusted voices to me. I know them. I know what they're working on. But as I said earlier, I, I'm actually a fan of learning. So I tend to do quite a bit of online learning through digital platforms as you often find, there's a buffet of technical and non-technical training available to us these days across a range of subjects, whether that's bite-sized, you know, executive summaries or, or so on and so forth. And I find it kind of, so I'm looking across all of these channels and trying to find the right thing at the right moment for the right subject. And that can vary from day to day. Yeah, I think the key is, is there, to your point, there is so much out there, you, you know, really the value that you get is really important by doing the research. Yeah. Absolutely. Quick word to our listeners. I recommend that you check out the Hayes blog. Follow the link in our show notes for extensive career advice, from writing a resume to insights and how different trends are impacting the world of work. Check out the link in the show notes. Now, I noticed, Paul, that on LinkedIn, your profile says you're a strategic advisor to McLaren Group. I mean, tell me a little bit more about that and how that came around. So for a petrol head like myself, Sean, I have to be honest, it's, it's a pretty cool, cool privilege to be able to help those guys. So um, I'm fortunate to hold a role as a technology strategy advisor to McLaren. Uh, and I essentially act in a non-exec director shaped capacity. And that can vary in terms of how I spend my time practically, but it, but it covers four key areas. Those areas are exec support and guidance, uh, vision and strategy, governance and specialist SME advice. So to take each in turn very briefly, the exec support and guidance is about providing impartial objectivity and challenge. So helping to present and represent information technology at the highest level in the organization and asking that, I guess, as a, acting as a trusted friend and confidant, for want of a better word. I'm not, I'm not attached to the organization too closely, so the ability to have that helicopter view is, is easier for me. In the strategy space, uh, includes assisting and setting the information and technology vision, uh, providing some objective review uh, to existing or proposed strategies. And to bring those external perspectives into the organization. What am I seeing from elsewhere? Because I, I don't have my nerves to the grindstone five days a week in the organization. From a governance space, again, it's objective review. It's assisting with ensuring the integrity of controls, policies, compliance objectives, and investment in technology so that, that the exec get what they need from the organization. And, and that, that is understood. And from a specialist SME advice perspective, I guess, providing input as, as me, as who I am, and the sum, sum total of my experience but sitting in special interest groups as, as required and giving them somewhere they can test ideas and channels they can explore ideas with, but helping to translate expertise and value for McLaren. So examples may include the strategy or operating model or objectives or roadmaps, but not just supporting the CIO, but also acting as an independent voice of the wider executive. So part of my job is about speaking to those individuals to make sure that I can act as a translator and you know, an impartial, critical friend to both. But as I say, I, I was brought up around cars. My father's a mechanic, uh, you know, so I, I love the ability to scratch that itch there. And I'm also a huge F1 fan. So I get the opportunity to go there once a month and, and I see all those fantastic vehicles and the great people that do great things with them. I'm lucky. Yeah, yeah well, the most important question of the day is, do they actually let you drive the car? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I give up my advisory position right off of that. It's got to be a part of the contract. You, you, you may need me to come in and negotiate for you. So. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Now, as we discussed earlier, you, you got into tech a little later in life, didn't take the conventional route. So I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on how can the tech industry attract more talent? 
It's a great question. It really is. And I think when I look back over my journey, I think it's it's really become obvious to me how it's incumbent on each generation to safeguard the future and probably create opportunities for the next generation too. So in that, it, it's incumbent on the likes of me, you and everyone like us to, to teach, to tell more stories, to celebrate successes and open doors, to show the way, what's the art of the possible. So I think I, I personally have a fantastic tribe. I call them a tribe of peers. You know, they're, they're my people who, frankly, I couldn't do without. And we help each other, we lift each other up. And, and who wouldn't want that in an industry? But we can always do more to bring others into that tribe. I think we need to make tech more accessible generally. Uh, not everyone has the same life or background or experiences, day-to-day -day needs, family demands, learning styles, communication styles, strengths or weaknesses. And I think we need to be open to that diversity. Diversity is an overused word, but for me, it, it means who you are, not just how you behave. It's who you are as a person. So whether that's in what people do, how they do it, when they do it, or where they do it from. I think we're in a hyper-connected world now. And to me, I don't think location or physical presence is a requirement for people to do great things together. It's a tool in the toolkit. So I think welcoming that diversity in, in all its forms, I think we can say it, but do we do it? Do, do you find that the private sector versus the not-for-profit, there's a difference in attracting you know, more diverse candidates? I mean, what does that look like? I think, well, even in the, in the private sector, the salaries are higher, right? There's, there's no question. And non-for-profits can't afford to compete with your big blue chips or, or you know, your, your big global sort of FTSE brands. But there's, as I mentioned earlier, there's a social contract. So, so reach is never, never an issue for me. I can attract fantastic talent. Can I always pay them what I would like to pay them? Probably not. And that's a bigger difference. So if someone wants to come and work at a not-for-profit, it's because they believe in the purpose. It's because they want to make a difference. Maybe they've earned their money and they want to make a difference in life. The flip side of that coin is maybe they're looking to build experience. And actually, the salary is not such a main thing. I want to come and work for a great brand, make a difference, build my career, you know, learn some new skills, and then I'll move on. And, and I think that's okay too. I think, but you've got to understand that those, those differences are valid. I think you, you have to respect them and you have to work within the constraints that, that you have. Now, for those of you know watching today and listening, I mean, what would you suggest to someone who wants to begin their career in tech, but maybe doesn't know how to get started or doesn't really come from a tech background? Well, I think, firstly, I, I applaud those that, that are brave enough to do that, to switch any career or decide you want to do something at any point in life. I think it takes a certain amount of courage and bravery, not because it's, it's, it's difficult. Of course, it's difficult, but just generally to have that self-awareness and be brave enough to make that switch. But my first response would be it's never too late. Some of my best recruits have come from a business background and they learned the IT skills. They've already known the business aspects. So therefore, they, the environment we work in and how to have a conversation with those we support in a really relevant way, on their level, in their language, that's a real asset. That's something I, I have to teach techies. So, so don't lose those skills and experience you've acquired along the way, which make you who you are now. This isn't about leaving that behind and picking up a new career. But have a open mind. Continue that learning mentality, as I mentioned earlier. It will put you in good stead, not just to get into tech, but to, to have a career in tech. There are a vast array of courses and support out there, Sean, I think, today, whether that's part-time, distance learning, and so on, which can go hand-in-hand -hand with a full-time job whilst you're making that transition and onwards. So don't be afraid to start with the basics and build from there. We all have to start somewhere. Seek out learning and networking opportunities, whether that's physical or virtual. There's, there's a lot around now. I think COVID did us all a favour with the, with the increase in virtual events, frankly, and I'm glad to see some of those have stuck around. 
But I'd say use those around you. I talked about the importance of a network earlier and, and your tribe, but learn from others. Find your tribe and look for the people to act as mentors and coaches who you think maybe to help you in, in your next step on your journey. Uh, I guess but more generally, there, there are three pieces of advice I'd offer to anyone in, in a tech career. And then the first is attitude is key. Skills can be learned. So keep learning, but have the right attitude. I think secondly, technology is about people. So don't lose any of those life skills, any of those people, relationship skills, those communication skills you've learned along the way. And thirdly, just keep a little bit of balance in life. Make time for life because you can get swallowed up in careers and wanting to chase that goal. Uh, and I think I'd, I'd give that advice to anyone, whether they're looking at switching careers or not. But I hope that's helpful. Yeah. And, and you know, 20 years of experience in tech. I mean, have you noticed the difference in how, you know, more inclusive tech is now? I mean, it used to be that if you weren't a developer, you didn't grow up a developer, you weren't getting in the industry, right? Completely. But in today, I mean, what, what's been your experience with regards to that? I mean, have you seen a significant change? I have. I mean, well, I started out in tech when there was one, one PC in the corner of the office that did email, and we all kind of took our turns on it, right? And we were still using fax machines, and it wasn't pervasive. Now it's pervasive, not just in an office, but in every single aspect of an organization, in every role. Well, probably almost every role, but there aren't many tech doesn't touch. So that presents opportunity for people in terms of, you know, what you need to be an expert in, what you need to learn about. Of course, there will always be a place for developers, but now there are places for communications experts, UX designers, testers, project managers, business analysts. You know, the, the roles have also exploded in parallel, I think, over the last few years. Uh, so that, that's been exciting to watch and see, and I've had to adjust that as well in terms of what my operating models look like, what my team compositions look like, what my roadmap for skills has looked like. But you, you've seen, as I said earlier, you've seen tech become closer and closer to the mission and strategy of organizations now. Organizations can't talk about strategy without talking about technology. And I don't think that was the case 20 years ago, for sure. So it's been really fascinating to see that switch. And I'm sure it's going to change again. Yeah. And, and hopefully it just continues to attract more people to the industry. Because it, it's Absolutely. definitely needed, right? Absolutely. Uh, Listen, Paul, this, this has been fantastic. Thanks for joining us. It's been great chatting today, and I'm sure the audience has gotten a great deal out of it. Thanks, Sean. It's been a pleasure to be here. I'm grateful for the opportunity. That was Paul Smith, CIO at Amnesty International. Paul's success goes to show that there's no one route into tech. The passion for technology in his younger years made him a great candidate, and from there he went from strength to strength. It was great hearing him talk about the importance of his work at Amnesty, and it just goes to show how vital skilled tech workers have become in the world today. Join us next time for insights into careers in technology. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast to make sure that you don't miss an episode.